This is the Brain Over Belly podcast, solving the puzzle of obesity with Dr. David Brown of Idaho BMI. Heart disease, it's the number one killer in America, and we're not going to stop it until we understand it better. Today, Dr. Brown explains the 12 steps to a heart attack so we can all make better choices to live a long, heart-healthy life. Here's your host, Rick Dunn. We are back. We are back, and today's topic is a big one, so we're going to need a couple episodes to break it down. First, uh, Dr. Brown, hello. Always great to have you here in the studio. Good to be here, Rick. How are you doing? Uh, I'm fantastic. I'm excited to get into some of this stuff. I know there is a lot with what we're about to discuss here, so let's jump right in. Heart disease. Why the deep dive with our listeners when it comes to heart disease? Well, I think it's a big topic. We're all a little afraid of having heart disease. It's the number one cause of death in America. has been every year for as long as those statistics have been measured. So it's the number one cause of death. And quite frankly, in my opinion, we're doing a very poor job at preventing it and really seeing the problem for what it is. And we're just not tackling the problem, I think, like we should be. So even though it's the number one cause of death, a lot of times that kind of attention will get uh, the right people, doctors, great minds behind things and say, hey, uh, we got to start moving in the right direction here. That's not happening. Well, our tendency today with heart disease is to think uh, mostly about treating heart disease once it is set in. In other words, a person has a heart attack or they developed chest pain. Yeah. Most of our thinking in modern medicine is, okay, well, what do we do with these people? You know, How do we keep them alive longer and maybe uh, improve their symptoms? Um, but I think the bigger picture is missed a lot of times. Um, you know, This disease kills roughly 700,000 Americans a year. And do you know what the most common first symptom is? No. <laughs> most people don't. don't. Uh, the, first, the most common first symptom is sudden death. Wow. It's almost 50%. So almost 50% uh, of the first symptom is sudden death. So in my mind, what that says is man, we really do not have a handle on this, and we need to do far more to prevent those sudden deaths. In other words, we're just behind the ball. It's it's one thing to try to open arteries to the heart that are closing down, but I think there are a lot of things we can do a long time before that to prevent the whole problem. So it sounds like traditional medicine's missing something. Um, I'm betting you've got some thoughts on that. I have thoughts. I can see the smile on your face. <laughs> I have some thoughts. What are those thoughts? Well, I think... I think we have to understand the problem better. Um, again, when we focus too much on one little area, I think we miss the bigger picture. And that's really what I wanted to talk about today. What I see as the bigger picture, um, the steps, if you will, the steps leading up to a heart attack from the very beginning. So what do you say is the cause of heart disease? Well, Where's that know, coming from? There's a lot of different types of heart disease. You have congenital heart disease, babies that are born with, you know, valves that don't work, etc. But right. by far the most common type of heart disease is coronary artery disease. Uh, you know, the arteries that supply the blood to the heart 
This is when those get narrowed down and you have a blockage of the blood going to the heart. And so this is where heart attacks and the typical chest pain come in. So for that most common type of heart disease, coronary artery disease, it really is a chronic and overwhelming chain reaction of inflammation in the body. Sort of a, a more generic process of inflammation than you might think. So I've heard you've developed 12 steps to a heart attack. Yeah. And uh, I have not looked over this, so I'm kind of excited to, yeah. uh, to hear what this is. I think, um, yeah, I, I think in terms of the whole thing from the very beginning, what's the first step in the whole process? And I think if we focus on that and understand more about that, yeah. it's going to help us. Sure. Um, so, yeah, 12 steps from the very beginning. Um, you're asking, what's number one? Yeah, what's number one? So, I'm eating bad food, or uh, what is it? Sure. So, the first step is what I would call oxidative stress. Okay. People take antioxidants, you know, and, and they don't really work, but a lot of people are somewhat familiar with the idea of oxidation in the body being a bad thing. And we've talked about it in a previous podcast, you know, with the idea of rust and the old stupid pinto I drove right. in high school for a little while. Uh, you had a pinto? I had a pinto. <laughs> okay. Sort <laughs> of for about a year. It was awful. Ugliest cars on the planet. <laughs> absolutely. But the floor had rusted out and I could see through to the road. Yeah. But it's this idea of oxidation. Um, so in each cell, there are what are called mitochondria. And those are considered the powerhouse of the cell. They generate the energy that the cell needs to function. Well, really... In those mitochondria, that's really where the energy, the food that we eat, is processed or converted into usable energy by the cell. And as a part of that, what can be generated is what's called reactive oxygen species. These are just very reactive little molecules that at a low level are actually good and are used as messengers in the immune system, but... If there are too many of these reactive oxygen species uh, or these little molecules, they can start sort of attacking all kinds of things in the cell and in the body, proteins, all kinds of things, and they damage those things. So, you know, at a very high level, yeah, if we are eating sugar and a lot of polyunsaturated fatty acids, yeah, very common, um, Eating a lot of those, which the average American does, those are known to generate, result in more oxidative stress from those powerhouses in the cell. So that's the beginning levels of you getting to a heart attack. That's yes. the beginning. Yes, it is oxidative stress. Now, there are other things that will cause oxidative stress. Staying up all night. Do, there's a lot of things that do, but I would say by far the Not most. Not drinking enough water? Would yeah. that do that? Or? You got it. Yeah. See, yeah. look, yeah. I know some you things. You recognize patterns. <laughs> I do. <laughs> so, yeah, there's a lot of things, but I would say by far the most common driver of this oxidative stress in Americans is this, what we're putting in our mouths. Okay. What about stress? Uh, or anxiety or uh, just, I mean, did, will that play a hand in that sure. as well? It sure. does. Yeah. Being sedentary, uh, being very stressed, losing sleep, 
yeah, all these things will tend to increase oxidative stress. So which step are we on right now? I'm looking through the 12 steps. Are we still on number one or are we I down the we list I think we actually went bit? to the two, so okay. we're on three. Okay. What is number three? Getting a heart attack. All right. So um, this is technical, but there is a, a thing in the cells in the body called NLRP3. It's what's considered an inflammasome. This is a big complex of proteins that is sort of regulating inflammation. If you get a cold, you get the flu, you're going to activate that complex that's going to help your body respond to that infection. But if it's overactive, that's a big problem. And so if the level of oxidative stress increases too much, it activates this thing called NLRP3. And this complex has been shown in several studies to be the primary driver, the inflammatory driver of this coronary artery disease. So you get activation of that huge, important complex. And from there, there's a whole cascade of things that start happening. Um, Number four would be that this inflammasome, this NLRP3, Mm activates uh, important enzymes like sialidase or neuramidase. An enzyme in the body is a typically a protein that really facilitates and causes a chemical reaction to happen. So that's important for us. We got to have that, right? Yeah. Enzymes are absolutely critical for life. Very important. Every process in the body just about is involving some type of enzyme. So this NLRP3 inflammasome activates some key enzymes uh, that are very important. And the effect of these enzymes can be seen throughout the body. Um, one of the key things that these enzymes do, this the sialidase, neuramidase, they cut off what is called sialic acid mm-hmm. from a lot of different things. Now, sialic acid, chemically, technically, it is a sugar. Um, it's not glucose. It's not fructose like we typically think of sugar. It's just a different chemical structure, but it's considered a, a sugar. And you find it almost everywhere. So in the wall of the blood vessels, on antibodies, on LDL particles that we've talked about, or cholesterol in the blood, they have a lot of different things attached. And one of them that's attached is this sialic acid. And sialic acid, one of its main roles is a is a signaling molecule. In other words, it's, you know, you and I, we look at each other. I recognize you based on features in your face. Right. Uh, That sialic acid allows things inside the body to recognize each other. And so if if one cell is going to send a signal, it has a lot of ways of doing that. The bottom line is that this sialic acid is found in a lot of different structures, and it's important in communication. So these enzymes that are activated by this NLRP3, they cleave or cut off these sialic acids from a lot of different things. So the three things that I think are worth including in this conversation, the three things that sialic acid is cut off of would be your LDL particle, and that's, you know, that's considered the quote-unquote bad cholesterol. Okay. And that is actually a carrier for fat, for triglycerides, in the blood, and it also carries cholesterol. On the surface of that LDL 
particle or entity usually is 12 to 14 sialic acid molecules. Anyway, when this whole process is going and you activate these enzymes, one of the things they do is they cut off some of those sialic acid uh, sugars from the LDL particle. Doing that makes that LDL particle more prone to becoming oxidized or damaged through an oxidation reaction. Gotcha. And what you see is, in general, that LDL particle, it gets smaller, it gets more dense, it changes its electrical charge, and ultimately, the normal receptors throughout the body on the surface of cells that recognize that LDL particle no longer recognize the LDL. In other words, it's, it's too different compared to a normal, healthy LDL particle, and the body really no longer recognizes it. The second thing that sialic acid is cut off of is what's called the glycocalyx. You ever heard of that? No. All right. Um, quite honestly, it's, a lot of doctors aren't familiar with that either. It's, a, it's the very inner lining of an artery. Okay, It's like a, it, tiny little hairs. It's like a super tiny carpet, protective carpet on the inside of a blood vessel. Gotcha. Um, and it's extremely important in regulating all kinds of things. But it's a very protective thing. Well, not surprisingly... Part of that border, that hair-like, frond-like structure, is sialic acid. And when you get these enzymes activated, they will cleave off that sialic acid from that glycocalyx. And it's basically damaging the inner layer of the artery wall. It becomes more thin and it's it's easy. not protecting us it's as not much doing as it's job. supposed to. Gotcha. Right. And so you, it's easier for things to migrate into the wall of the blood vessel, things like damaged LDL. Okay? So that's number two. The second thing that sialic acid um, is important in. The third thing would be antibodies. So a lot of us are familiar with antibodies, especially after the last two years. Um, antibodies help our body recognize foreign Things, antigens, a virus, a bacteria, and help to eradicate those things. Yeah. Well, on the antibody is this sialic acid, this sugar-like compound. Well, these enzymes, uh, sialidase, neuramidase, they cut sialic acid off of these antibodies. And when that happens, these antibodies sort of go into high alert. It makes them more reactive and more prone to bind to foreign agents, if you will, invaders. Does that all make sense? Which which causes that to be damaged even more so because... Well, really, is, my knowledge is that the antibody, by having that sialic acid yeah. sort of cleaved or cut off of it, it just becomes, it's high alert. It, it's more prone to chemically bind to foreign invaders that it encounters. All right, we're halfway through the uh, 12 steps to a heart attack. Oxidized. What is that? Okay. Oxidized LDL? So in the last podcast, we talked a lot about cholesterol and LDL. And one of the things we talked about is damaged LDL, damaged cholesterol. Mm -hmm. And one of the primary ways that LDL cholesterol is damaged is by this thing called oxidation. Again, you, you, I remember living back east, you drive by the, the bay and you see ships and you can see all the green and the red on the side of the ship. Yeah. It's rusting. Same thing happened with that stupid Pinto I drove. Yeah. <laughs> 
So it's it's the same thing. It's it's a change in its chemical property from it's doing this, that to your body, yeah. the inside of your body, yep. including to the cholesterol. So so up to this point, we have damaged cholesterol, damaged LDL cholesterol. We have somewhat damaged inner lining of the arteries, and we've got antibodies that are on high alert. Now, to back out a little bit, something I've noticed in the operations that I do, bariatric surgery, um, these folks you know, struggle with weight, they're obese, a lot of them have diabetes, et cetera. Yeah. Well, a lot, a lot of people are familiar with fatty liver. And it's very common. Roughly 40, 45% of Americans have this thing called fatty liver. And one of the things that happens is the liver gets bigger. And what I have noticed is that in addition to having a big liver, these patients always have a big spleen. A spleen is in the left upper abdomen. Uh, I would say it's usually twice as large as a normal spleen. Wow, that's really big. Right, and so the spleen, the spleen is the largest lymph organ, and it really functions as a filter of blood. It filters out old and damaged red blood cells, which carry the oxygen, but it also just filters the blood of invaders, bacteria, viruses, etc. Now, I always thought that these spleens in these patients were just really big because the liver was really big, something called portal hypertension. Don't need to go into it, but mm-hmm. I just assumed that was the case. But more and more I thought about that that doesn't make sense because typically for that to occur, you need what's called cirrhosis of the liver. We're familiar with that. But in these patients, you almost never see cirrhosis, yet their spleens are really big. And that really leads us into step six of the 12 steps. Mm-hmm. So you've got these damaged LDL particles floating around in the blood, and you've got the spleen filtering all that blood. Well, these LDL particles that are damaged come in contact in this filtering system in the spleen with immune cells, specifically macrophages. I always think of Pac-Man. You remember Pac-Man? Oh, yeah. I used to love Pac-Man. And miss (laughs) Pac-Man. Like them both. (laughs) So... Yeah, this is, the blood's being filtered, and the spleen, the immune cells, the macrophages in the spleen are recognizing these damaged LDL particles as foreign invaders. It doesn't recognize them as self. And so these macrophages, these Pac-Man cells of the immune system, they basically gobble up those LDL particles, damaged LDL. Um, and one of the things they do, the idea is that they're going to swallow that up and destroy it, get rid of it. Mm-hmm. But it also takes a part of that damaged LDL that is sort of representative of that, and it's going to share that with other immune cells, sort of spread the word mm. and activate the immune system so that it's on alert to recognize these damaged LDL particles throughout the body. And so up to this point, say in a healthy person, so you have damaged LDL in your body. Yes. I do. Everybody does. It's just like... It makes me feel better knowing <laughs> that it's not just me, right. okay? <laughs> so also, all of us have some cancer cells in our bodies. In right. our, our bodies, our immune systems are able to get rid of them and take care of it. And it's the same thing with damaged LDL or damaged cholesterol. Your body and a healthy person can take care of it. Well, at some point, you reach your limit for your capacity to manage all of it. In other words, you just start, it's a chain reaction, remember, and 
it increases in its scope. And eventually the immune system is limited in its ability to manage all of it. And it sort of spill, starts spilling out into other areas of the body. So in that process, really, you're getting the spleen that's getting bigger and bigger. So that's why in my patients, I believe that in general, inflammation is very high in their bodies. And one of the things that this is driving is coronary artery disease. Mm. So in parallel to all this, there's a lot of other stuff happening. Um, this is also driving insulin resistance, accumulation of visceral fat, you know, the belly fat that's unhealthy. We know about that. Uh, inflammation in general is increasing anxiety. Uh, also, we see increased anxiety in this process. Uh, high blood pressure also is directly related to all of this. So it really is sort of a spillover effect. Once the immune system Everything just starts shutting yeah. down at that well, point, it, doesn't it? You get or a lot of things. Abnormalities. You get sort of out of control inflammation, and that really is what is driving, you know, inflammation and, and insulin resistance in the neurological dysfunction that we've talked about. It's it's it is driving obesity, diabetes, and all these metabolic right. problems we've talked about. So eventually, you know, your body really is not recognizing these damaged LDL particles. And they're accumulating in your blood. And so that at that point, that's where those LDL, damaged LDL particles start migrating into the wall of the arteries. And it's not just in the coronary arteries, the arteries of the heart, that this happens in. So if you look at people who have diagnosed coronary arteries, a very high percentage of them also have the same thing happening happening in their carotid arteries, which is the arteries supplying the brains and your neck. Uh, also, the aorta, which is the biggest artery in the body coming off of the heart. In fact, the majority of teens or adolescents, by the time most people are 20, 22, they have evidence of these what's called atherosclerotic plaques, fatty streaks in the aorta already in their 20s. Wow. Uh, it also happens in what's called the iliac arteries, which supply blood to the legs, the renal arteries supplying blood to the, to the kidneys. So it's happening in a lot of different places typically. But we think about the heart because we're using our hearts 24-7. It's pumping mm -hmm. constantly. So there's always a demand. And as these damaged LDL particles are migrating into the wall of the blood vessel, it stimulates further immune reaction in the wall of the artery. It's like a continuation of what's happening in the spleen. And as a result of that scarring, that inflammation in the wall of the blood vessel, you get narrowing of that blood vessel, of that artery. So it's just a progressive thing, progressive uh, inflammation. You get continuing narrowing of those arteries. And because we're always using our heart, it's very common for us to develop symptoms there first before we, you know, have symptoms in our legs or have strokes or kidney issues. Um, and a lot of times people will experience chest pain. You're, yeah. you're, you know, when they're, you go outside and when it's cold or you're physically active, the heart muscle cells, they need more oxygen. And so you, you are limited in the amount of blood you can deliver because of that narrowing and those cells suffer. Ultimately, if it's bad enough, the cells, the muscle cells of the heart can die. It's called necrosis. Mm. 
That's a heart attack. So that is really the process from beginning. And, you know, this is a gross simplification of it. There's a thousand other things happening. Oh, this is really simple, huh? <laughs> you get my – I mean, there's other stuff happening saying, in parallel. Yes. But it, if I had to pinpoint really the chain of events, this is the primary series of this chain reaction that's causing a heart attack. Ultimately, the heart muscle cell dies because it can't get oxygen, blood, Mm -hmm. because of that narrowing of that artery. Why are most doctors not talking about this? Why, like these 12 steps or, or just the information that's there, why are people not hearing that very often? Well, I think it's... That's a great question. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> you don't have the answer. Hey, good. Uh, <laughs> well, <laughs> again, right. I think the focus has been reacting to the problem once it's already developed. Right. It's, just, it's part of the training and part of the education and, and the way we think in modern medicine is what do we do with a person who's had a heart attack? You know, and we can do stents and we can do open heart uh, surgery. Um, Why is it important that people take a wide look at the cause of the heart disease? Why should we be doing that? Because almost 50% of people fall dead as right their away. first symptom of this. And right. it's the most it's – the, So they're not having chest pains or they're uh, not going numb right. on the – what is it, the right side of the body yeah. or the – I can't remember. Left side. You know, so chest pain, shortness of breath, right. anxiety, sweating, all these symptoms. But the number one no, symptom is the they most, just fall over dead. Yes. Right. Um, it's the most common first symptom. And why would that happen? Well, you have a heart attack. You're killing muscle cells in the heart. And as a result of that, you get most often it's what's called atri- uh, ventricular fibrillation. The a- heart doesn't be, uh, pump well, and you get arrhythmias, and you just fall over, and you're dead. What I love about what you focus on and what you do, it isn't just about losing weight. Losing weight is, is awesome. Yeah. But it is about living a long, healthy life. And that's what we're talking about here. Absolutely. It's lifespan, living as long as possible, and health span, being as healthy as possible. And if you just take the first thing, if we're interested in extending life, well, it makes sense to understand the number one cause of death. Which is heart disease. Yeah. Yeah. It has been every year for forever. 60, 70 years. Yeah. Well, before heart disease, it was infectious disease, and lifespan was much shorter. Right. But that's what it is today. So in part two of this conversation, we're going to take a wider look at the prevention and treatment of heart disease. Lots more eye-opening stuff that's going to surprise a lot of listeners, uh, give them some hope, too. Uh, Dr. Brown, any uh, final thoughts on what we discussed today? Just keep asking questions. I think everybody needs to be curious and just keep asking questions and be curious. Thank you again for joining us. We'll be back in uh, just a couple weeks.